If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of the Leading Learning Podcast. We're in the thick of our annual Learning Technology Design, or LTD, virtual conference. And as part of that event, we'll be delivering a brief session, what we call a content pod, on how to determine what your potential learning customers want, not just what they need. As we did earlier with the strategy session that we planned to lead at LTD, and in fact have led since then, we thought we would use this episode to talk through some of the ideas we plan to share in our session. Before we do that, though, we want to acknowledge our sponsor for the first quarter of 2018. We're very happy to have Blue Sky eLearn sponsoring this quarter. Blue Sky is the maker of the PATH Learning Management System, an award-winning cloud-based learning solution that empowers your organization to maximize its message. Blue Sky also provides a range of virtual event and instructional services to help you maximize your content and create deeper engagement with your audience. To find out more about Blue Sky eLearn and everything it offers, visit blueskyelearn.com. For the resource for this episode, we're going to point to our Market Insight Matrix. And this is a free tool that lays out a framework for continually monitoring and assessing your market over time. And it's a great complement to the discussion that we'll have in this episode about identifying the wants as opposed to just the needs in your market. To access the Market Insight Matrix, just go to the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 121. Now, giving the people what they want. It's an age-old idea. In fact, I remember there was a a great song by the uh, Kinks way back when called Give the People What They Want that I liked back in the day. And, uh, you know, that's certainly an idea that applies in the market for lifelong learning. And we're going to have some specific tips that we want to share. But first, we should probably set the stage for this discussion. Yes, because uh, there's definitely a lot of ground we could cover here. Uh, Enough for a full-day workshop, but not just a podcast episode. Because identifying learner wants falls into the broader area of market assessment. And um, because we have limited time, both for this episode and for that uh, LTD 2018 session we're working on, we want to focus in on what we see as four key areas of gathering and assessing data and cover some of the key questions that we found it valuable to ask. And these are areas that, that tend to apply well during those times when a learning business is allocated resources specifically to conduct some sort of market assessment and usually referred to as a needs assessment. And I mean, we strongly advocate ongoing monitoring and assessment as opposed to one-shot initiatives, which is why we reference the the market insight matrix at the beginning of the show. But, But we also know the reality is that many organizations only intermittently dedicate resources to assessment. So we want to offer some tips that will be helpful on those occasions. So let's dive in. So the first of the four areas is understanding your demand dynamics. Um, Often your greatest evidence for what your customers will want in the future is what they have either been buying already or what they've been looking for. And kind of wrapped up in that to the extent that you can uh, determine this as well. Why have they been buying it? Why have they been looking for it? And so you probably have some data to draw on here. So you can look um, at product by product 
purchasing trends over the course of the past quarter, the past year, or, or longer. Really, the period of time is going to depend on the shelf life um, for your offerings. Um, so you want to set that appropriate to, to that shelf life. Um, but you want to look at those trends that are happening over time. So that's one um, piece of data that you probably have um, that you can draw on in terms of understanding demand dynamics. Another is look at session attendance at, at multi-session events. So which sessions were the, the most popular? Which ones did people gravitate to and stay at? Um, and so, again, it's probably data that, that you have um, and that you can be looking at. Another thing is, um, and this one maybe gets overlooked, but I mean, you can look at the search queries that have brought people to your, your website. And here we're talking broadly about really what, a, what has brought them to your website, not just your catalog of learning offerings, because sometimes people can come to you because they're looking... Um, for a particular topic, and maybe you don't have that in your educational catalog, but it's still something that's bringing people to you, and and so you could be looking at a gap there if people are coming around a topic and you don't have a learning offering there. And then I'll I'll mention one other um, piece of data that you probably have or area of data that you probably have, which is survey questions. Um, You could be asking your learners, your members about specific competitors or competitive offerings. So, you know, where else do they turn to fulfill their learning needs? And there's probably a reason if they're if they're turning to those competitors because those competitors are offering something either you don't or or they're offering it better. And I think um, you mentioned search queries, really interesting area. And for the most part, you know, one of the main places you're going to go for that is to the Google Search Console. And just about all organizations are running Google Analytics have access to the Google Search Console. If that's not uh, an application that's familiar to you personally, ask your marketing folks, ask your technology folks, because they're going to be able to tell what kind of search queries are coming to you. And you may have other tools in place at your organization that are that are tracking that as well. But certainly that's one that's available to everybody. And you know, I went and looked at ours today as we were thinking about this podcast just to see anything interesting interesting going on. And and for example, we've had a lot of search queries uh, recently about the importance of social learning. And that's actually driving some traffic to our site right now. And we do happen to have a report on social learning. But, you know, if we were thinking about what could we develop in terms of, say, a webinar offering soon, that would be very good evidence to say that there's probably some demand for that right now. Let's consider offering that webinar soon. And, uh, you know, one other place to look to is... um, discussion forums, your, your communities. Mm. Uh, you know, so many good ideas come up within communities, maybe your own, maybe others that you're participating in, that you can take those ideas um, and just understand, you know, what is it that's, that's sort of sparking demand right now? What are the things that the people are looking for? Now, in another part of this kind of understanding um, uh, demand dynamics is really understanding who's making buying decisions or and or you know, who's heavily influencing uh, those buying decisions because you know in, in many cases for example you have you may have offerings that learners want but aren't purchasing at expected levels and you know often this is because the learners aren't really making the buying decisions or they don't have you know the the, the final sign off power on it and, and it may be that you're not really meeting the wants of those who are. Part of that may be that they're not aware of it, um, but even to the extent that they are, you may not be creating enough kind of pull-through demand for what you're offering to, to really uh, drive the purchasing in your market. Um, you know, for example, we recently 
we're working with an organization, and we, and we referenced this in the strategy episode as well, that, uh, that had a certification in their particular field, a credential that people could earn in their field. And, and learners were generally pretty enthusiastic about it, but, uh, but employers weren't. Um, and, and employers, to the extent they knew about it, just didn't place a lot of value on it. And, and in that case, you know, there's going to have to be some, do- some work done to uh, align better with what the employers do actually want to impact those demand dynamics. So, and that's an important lesson here is, you know, don't assume that if the demand doesn't seem to be there right now, that it can't be influenced. Demand can be influenced uh, by your interactions in the marketplace and particularly by your interactions with the people who are ultimately going to be making the buying decisions, even if they aren't going to be the person necessarily sitting in the chair, sitting at the computer, uh, engaged with the particular learning experience. So that's the first area, this understanding your demand dynamics. The, the second area we want to talk about is assessing behavior. And um, by assessing behavior, we're saying really look at what people do, not um, what they say they want to do, not their preferences. Um, again and again, we see surveys that ask learners, um, for example, what learning format do you prefer? Um, and the results from those types of questions are notorious, unre- notoriously unreliable because in many cases, cases learners really don't have enough um, experience to say. I mean, so if you're asking them, you know, you know, are you going to take an online course? Well, maybe this is a, a segment that really hasn't yet kind of gotten on board with taking learning online, but maybe, you know, they're, maybe they would love it if they do. So it can be unreliable because um, sometimes people just don't have enough experience to accurately assess what, what they do or don't want. And even if they do, even if they have had experience, um, we know that preferences are generally a poor predictor of behavior. Um, you know, we can say that we want something, but are we actually going to go do it? There's a gap usually there between the, the want and the actually getting it done. Um, and so again, this can be a place where it's useful to look at some of the data that we've already dis- discussed to see what learners are actually doing and how they're behaving. So things like looking at those search queries, um, looking at those those product by product purchasing trends over uh, whatever period of time is appropriate, looking at session attendance at, at your events. All of those things can give you some data about behavior versus those learner preferences. And Similarly, when you're doing surveys and, and interviews, um, we would encourage you to focus more on behavior than preferences. So with respect to that format question, um, for example, um, we like to ask about the formats in which learners have actually participated. So instead of, you know, what learning format do you prefer, um, we might ask a question like, in what forms of online professional development have you participated? Check all that apply. And then you could list um, relevant formats like live webinars, recorded webinars, self-paced online courses, and maybe along with a very brief, concise description of, of each of those formats so that um, people really understand what you're talking about. Yeah, and then to get at what most organizations are looking for with um, the, the preference questions, we might follow a question like that with one that asks about the formats that the learners have found the most valuable along with the same list of options. So you're asking them what they've actually participated in, and then you're asking, you know, what have they actually found the most valuable? And this gives us some insight into where there are gaps between what learners are doing and then what they've actually found most valuable. And so if, for example, um, the value that learners place on live webinars 
is well below the rate at which they actually participate in this format. So they're participating in a lot of them, but they're not necessarily finding that format all that valuable. Well, that tells you a few things. Um, there may be opportunities for significantly improving the webinar experience. That might be a way for you to actually lead your particular market by really providing a top-notch webinar experience, uh, kind of reinventing it. Um, or it may need, mean that you need to increase efforts with other formats, or it could be a combination of the two. And you'll have to do some follow-up and you'll have to do some testing, um, but you've got, you've got much more solid information there than just having asked people sort of in the abstract, what do you, what do you prefer uh, as far as a format goes? So um, we've talked about two areas so far, understanding your de de demand dynamics and then assessing behavior versus preferences. And then the third area we wanted to, to talk about today is identifying key value factors. So it's really important to know what kinds of factors prospective customers weigh when they're making their purchase decisions. Um, and asking about this in the context of a survey or interview gets close to asking about preferences, which we were just cautioning you against, but we think there are ways to ask uh, about it that can be tested over time. So, for example, we'll typically include a question that runs along the lines of, of the following. Imagine that you're considering whether to register for a professional development program of any format, e.g. whether classroom or online, that seems to meet your needs. How important would each of the following factors be in assessing its potential value? And then the potential responses would include some obvious items like the content is presented by a reputable subject matter expert with significant relevant experience. But also some items that we find um, learning businesses are less likely to ask about um, but can still be useful, things like the program has been shown to produce demonstrable improvement in knowledge or performance for those who take part. So uh, what the outputs from this line of questioning give you are some criteria for assessing your current uh, marketing efforts. To what extent do your marketing materials emphasize or even reference the value factors that you ask learners about? And, and we found uh, again and again that these factors are often poorly represented, if not missing in action entirely on, on sales pages, on brochures, uh, on the website, in other marketing materials. So once you have this kind of input around those key value factors, you can make changes and then you can begin to measure the impact. And I think this is a very powerful one because, you know, very often organizations do have what learners want um, or at least are close to it, uh, but they're, they're just not framing it very well and how they're communicating that out to the learners. Um, but sometimes it means that you're going to maybe need to do some work to, to prove to the learner that you have what they want. Uh, so for example, that um, reputable subject matter expert uh, uh, choice, that, that usually comes out one or two just about every time we ask a question. We expect it to because people, they're looking for that. But you, but you go and look at uh, catalogs and oftentimes, you know, the the expertise, uh, the experience of the subject matter expert is not emphasized at all. There's little, if any, uh, uh, information about the subject matter expert, no picture, um, and, and it's just hard to tell uh, that you've really got you know, a top-notch person um, speaking. On the other hand, we found that that question about um, uh, the program being shown to produce demonstrable improvement in knowledge or performance um, usually ranks two or three uh, out, of the, um, out of what learners say they value 
But organizations often don't have any proof of that, and mm-hmm. they're not really doing anything to get proof of that. And there are some simple steps that can be taken to at least get you know, some, uh, even if it's just in the form of social proof, so testimonials, um, to help support that. Uh, but that's almost always missing, uh, and, and we find consistently that learners do actually care about these, that these days because they have more choices than they, uh, they used to have, and they have higher expectations than they used to have. And I'll just add uh, two quick points. I mean, I think one is around those um, the, the subject matter expert and uh, and really making sure if that is something that your market um, values that you're making that clear. I think even when folks do make um, uh, information about the subject matter experts available, too often it's kind of the same bio that gets right. used over and over versus really highlighting in the bio why this person is talking about this subject. What it, you know, exact head-on, you know, completely targeted experience and expertise they have in that area. Yeah, I think a lot of times we just become oblivious uh, to it now because there's this this sort of obligatory bio there. Uh, People kind of gloss over it. And we've made the the case before in talking about marketing that that copywriting matters so much and and really being able to position things properly to the audience and and doing that with the subject matter expert uh, information is a key area. And so then the other thing I wanted to just kind of um, piggyback off of what you were saying, Jeff, is around that idea of um, of measurement and, and measuring impact. And I think um, if if you don't have that data, but if you know your your learners value um, the fact uh, that they want to know that this learning experience has produced results for others, um, it, it gives you um, not only the the rationale or the you know the the motivation to go out and gather that, like you're saying, even if it's just social proof, it also gives you some ammunition internally. If if you need to invest some in measuring impact, you can go out and say, look, our learners value this. You know, we need to be willing to you know spend this amount of money or spend this amount of staff time on it because it actually does matter. Right, definitely. So now we've covered um, understanding your demand dynamics, kind of knowing you know where the demand is and, and what might lie behind it uh, in terms of you know who's who's buying, who's making decisions. We've talked about assessing behavior, not preference, or at least you know assessing behavior, uh, focusing on that more um, than on preference, uh, certainly. And then we just talked about uh, identifying those key value factors and then using those and how you're um, communicating and how you're you know, ultimately designing your, your product experiences. So the last one we'll talk about here is uh, gauging commitment and conversion, not interest. Um, and so you know, a, a lot of times uh, we see learning businesses will ask, prospective customers about whether they're interested in a particular offering or, or a particular type of offering. And then a lot of times uh, what happens, we hear this again and again, is that uh, you know, they, they told us they were interested, and, but now they're not signing up um, for whatever it is that, that actually gets uh, offered as a result of that interest. Um, so you know, there, there are a few ways to, to come at this one. Um, and, you know, and one is we always like to, uh, to gauge uh, out of the gate um, if the prospective learners are aware of current offerings. So before even asking them about interest in new offerings, you know, are they aware of what's already there? And then to the extent that they are aware, have they participated? Um, And then we we look at sort of the ratio um, between that, Uh, you know, what's that gap between awareness and participation? And if we find out, you know, that um, that a relatively low percentage of the target learners are aware, and we would do this, you know, through a survey uh, type question, if, if a low number are aware, but out of those that are aware, they convert at a very high rate. So, you know, more than half maybe are, are actually participating in this offering that they're aware of, 
then, then you know that you probably just have an awareness problem, that you need to make sure people know about this offering um, because it converts pretty well, and so you need to put some more uh, emphasis on promotion, and sometimes that's the case. Uh, in fact, very often that's the case, that the awareness is not there. Um, and then, but the other uh, sort of take on that is if, um, if a high number are aware but they're converting at a low rate. So you might have you know, 80% of the target audience that are fully aware that this offering exists, but only 10% of them have ever actually signed up for it. Then you know you have a, a product um, or possibly a pricing problem, and, and you need, need to go and uh, address that. Um, so you're really looking at, you know, uh, are people converting or, or not? And that, that's one way that we um, look at uh, conversion um, versus uh, um, awareness. Another area to look at here is, um, you know, for specific offerings, and we do um, think it's worth asking about specific offerings, we'll generally try to do that. We generally do some interviewing up front, both in, internally in an organization and uh, among the, the target audience, to kind of arrive at what seem to be uh, some, some offerings that are going to get some traction. Um, and we will ask about them. We try to get as close to you know, an actual descriptive uh, title that you would use for the offering, not just asking about generic uh, areas, or if you really can't get to those descriptive titles yet, to ask about generic areas, but then get some details on what those uh, what needed to be covered in those generic areas. So if people just need to know more you know, about uh, uh, email marketing, for example, just to throw something out, what, it is, what is it that they really need to know about it? And then craft a, a targeted title out of that. Um, and then you know be able to ask them. But when we ask, you know, we'll, we won't just say, "Are you interested in it?" Um, we'll ask them how likely they are to participate. And you know, our, our ultimate answer for all of them is, "Sign me up now." Basically, so we, you know, we want like that level of of, uh, of sort of commitment of interest. And if we don't see you know a fairly significant percentage of people, usually twenty percent or above at least, um, saying not just that they're very likely to participate, but just you know sign me up right now, along with a big group that's very likely to participate. If we're not seeing you know uh, well over fifty percent between those two groups, then we know we don't have a very compelling offering, and we need to uh, uh, go back to the drawing board to to figure out what's going to to work. So those are you know, two ways of coming at the, the existing portfolio, so looking at awareness and looking at uh, actual participation relative to awareness. But then when you're asking about uh, offerings, you know, really getting some, some, some specific offerings that you, you know, have, have uh, uh, gone out and, and, uh, and gotten some input on, and then asking people not just, you know, are they interested, but how likely they are to participate all the way up to that sign me up now. And then finally, and we, you know, we've talked about this in many other um, instances, Test, you know, make sure you you, you test whatever you're um, pl planning on putting out there. Um, so we're we're big advocates of running um, pilots of any offering, and this can be even be for place-based offerings, just to test out the topical area. But certainly, if you're planning on developing any sort of self-paced online um, or, or you know launching a, a big series of uh, uh, of uh, of online offerings, whether live or self-paced using low-cost approaches like webinar platforms to, to run live pilots so you can get that feedback both during the pilot and also just, you know, whether people sign up for it or not, you know, running a, a paid pilot to see if you can get people to sign up or not. Fantastic way to, to test and make sure that you really are getting something out there that, that people want 
and need and will commit to, will convert to. Um, you know, it's not just interest, it's they will actually sign up for it. Uh, and, you know, another way to come at this is to publish uh, downloadables um, in the target topic area that require email sign-up. It could be a download, it could be a video, something that the people have to hand over an email address, though, that's, that's related to the topic that you plan to develop a learning offering on. Might be a white paper, might be a video, might be a how-to, might be a checklist, but they have to at least hand over an email to get it. And, and you can bet if people aren't at least willing to hand over an email address in a, in a particular topical area, the chances that they're going to pay to participate in, in any sort of uh, uh, paid learning offering are, are, are pretty slim. So, you know, really, really test for commitment, uh, not just interest. And, and, you know, as we've just explained, there, there are a number of ways to do that. Well, and I think um, around that last area in terms of what to try out, you know, all of what you're saying, Jeff, is very much in keeping with the idea of the minimum viable product. And so just wanted to throw that out there as a concept if people haven't yet tuned into that, that just this idea of putting out sort of the bare minimum that, that you think will address a market need, and then you can see what um, the market reaction actually is to that. And then I think the other thing is, is, you know, you were emphasizing, you know, the idea of a downloadable or a video or something that requires, um, you know, an email to sign up. And if you're thinking, you know, wait, we already have these people's email, you know, don't stop there because, right. you know, this is, to your point, this is them actually having to take a little bit of an action. And um, it also gives you more insight. Like, yes, they may already be on your email list, but now you know that they're particularly interested in X because they signed up for that downloadable for that video, whatever it was that you've put out there as a piece of content marketing. And so if you then use that information accurately, that's going to be you know, a great um, group to go back to when you do have a, a fuller blown offering uh, in that topic. And, you know, we always like to, uh, to stress when we talk about topics like this, uh, these are things we ourselves do. You know, so we're always looking at, uh, you know, the first point around understanding demand dynamics. Uh, this has actually been front of mind for us recently because we're really looking at, you know, what, uh, what's going to drive people participating in our educational activities, who's really making those decisions, who's influencing those. And it's, it's altering our, our strategy and, and how we're uh, going to be approaching the market as a result of that. We assess behavior, not just preference, uh, you know, referenced earlier on looking at things like um, our search analytics and, and, and seeing uh, what is uh, actually uh, attracting people to our site, um, but then certainly, you know, keeping close tabs on our webinar numbers and, you know, what, what's really what's really resonating with people, what are people um, downloading from us. Um, identifying key value factors, um, you know, we make sure that, uh, that we stay on top of what really seems to uh, resonate with, with our groups in, in terms of value, and that influences, you know, for example, uh, who's going to be speaking at uh, any of our educational op opportunities, who's going to be coming on the podcast, um, those sorts of decisions, and then finally, that, that gauging commitment and, and conversion, um, not just interest, uh, we're always tracking this, you know, we're, we're always uh, putting things out there to kind of test uh, what's going to work with, with our particular audience, and I'm, I'm sure listeners out there have experienced all of this, so, you know, those, those are key areas. To, to, to keep an eye on the, the demand dynamics, behavior over preference, uh, the value factors in your market, and then you know really gauging where the commitment and, and the conversion are going to happen. 
So that's a targeted look in those four areas um, in terms of looking at what learners want. Um, and again, we could have you know spent much, much longer on it, but even if you can dig in just in those four areas, it's going to give you um, a, a great uh, foundation on which to base future decisions um, as you're going out there because you're going to have that data, you're going to have that understanding that's going to help you move forward correctly. So for show notes for this episode, you can go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 121, and there you will find a link to access the Market Insight Matrix, which we mentioned at the outset. And if you are interested in better understanding your market, we really do recommend that tool. And while you're at leadinglearning.com slash episode 121, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of Leading Learning, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We would also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We really appreciate it, and it helps others to find this podcast. And we'd be grateful if you'd take a minute to visit our sponsor for this quarter, Blue Sky eLearn. We really do put a lot of work into producing and delivering leading learning, and one of the key reasons we're able to do that is because of the support of sponsors like Blue Sky. So please visit them at blueskyelearn.com. In addition to finding out about, out about their services, you'll also find a variety of great resources that they offer for free. And finally, please tell others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. Or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can pick another social network of your preference and spread the good word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.